Hello, and welcome to Texas True Crime. I'm your host, Jessica. Thanks for listening with me today. Uh, Happy Super Bowl Sunday, everyone. I have a small confession to make. I am not a football fan and could really care less that the Super Bowl is happening today. Um, I know I'm super in the minority and even with my family because everyone else is really excited to watch tonight. But instead, I'm going to a wine tasting with my mother-in-law. So woohoo. Anyway, um, today we are going to be talking about David Martin Long. He um, was convicted in 1986 of murdering three women with a hatchet in their homes. Super brutal. So um, let's get to it. On September 19th, 1986, David Martin Long was hitchhiking along the highway after being expelled from an alcohol rehabilitation program in Little Rock, Arkansas. Donna Jester saw him walking along the highway and she picked him up. And as they visited in the car, Donna found out that David had nowhere to go. So, being the kind soul that she was, Donna made the mistake of suggesting that he could stay with her at her home in Lancaster in exchange for doing some odd jobs and repairs around her house. She also agreed that she would supply him with Mad Dog 2020 and cigarettes while he worked at her house. Now, if you're not familiar with Mad Dog 2020, it is the cheapest, nastiest alcohol that you can get. It's the kind of stuff, you know, when you're a teenager, you sneak because you can't afford anything else to drink, but you really want to go get drunk and it comes in all these nasty flavors, you know, but super cheap, really gross. Uh, David was an alcoholic and a drug addict and he'd been in and out of trouble since he was really young. David's mother died when he was 10. And David's father then became an abusive alcoholic who beat him. And uh, because of this, David and his other three siblings were shuffled in and out of foster homes. David also claimed that he was sexually abused during this time. And David's older sister told the court during his trial later on that when their mother became sick, their father would go out drinking and come home drunk. On one occasion, he brought a woman home with him and proceeded to have sex with him with this woman right in front of his children. So not a good situation, not a good home life, very troubled. Uh, David started abusing drugs and alcohol when he was 12. He was sent to reform school for a while and also went through many different rehabilitation programs that none of them None of them worked. He was also in and out of mental institutions. Later on in court records, they would show that he had been in and out of 10 different mental institutions before he was convicted of killing Donna and the other two ladies that live with her. And that once he was an adult and that um, he had been diagnosed with several serious mental problems. He, as a child, started to associate bad smells with his mother's sickness and then death, which would then affect him for the rest of his life. And his older siblings believed that 
his father's abuse and then his own sub- substance abuse caused serious mental issues for him for the rest of his life, which, I mean, the more we talk about the guy, it's going to be pretty obvious that he he was scary. He just wasn't, things were not right. Now, his older siblings were six and seven years older than him, so they didn't seem to be as affected by their mother's death. But David had a younger brother who also was in and out of trouble a lot also, but not quite to the extent that David was. Uh, And one of his times being in an institution One psychiatrist diagnosed him as a catatonic schizophrenic that was brought on by his alcohol abuse. And catatonic catatonic schizophrenia is defined as a severe condition manifested by almost total withdrawal with reality, borderline delusional thinking, and paranoid ideation. And then he was also later diagnosed as a psychopath. Now, the borderline delusional thinking and the paranoid ideation is going to come up later on. So kind of remember that. Now on that day that Donna thought that she was being a caring good citizen and offered to give David a place to stay, she had no idea that she was about to let the devil into her house. Donna was 37 and she lived with her mother, Dalpha Jester, who was 64 and she was blind and bedridden. And when she did get up and move around, she had to have a walker for any kind of motion. Also living with her at the time was a 20-year-old woman from Florida who was also a homeless person that Donna had met named Laura Lee Owens that she also had invited to come live with her when she found out she had nowhere to go. So it wasn't unusual for Donna to invite people into her home. She was a very kind soul, and her cousin would later be quoted saying during the trial that Donna's kindness is what eventually got her killed. She said that Donna was a truly caring, kind woman and that she always loved to give and help others, but eventually it was her downfall, which is really sad. This lady was just trying to do a good thing, and this is what she got in return. Now, when David first moved in to the house with Donna and Dalpha and Laura, he slept in Donna's car. But for the short time he was there, he formed a romantic relationship with Laura and then moved inside with her. But here we go with those paranoid ideations. He began to worry that Donna had other bodies of hitchhikers buried in her backyard. He began to believe in his mind that this was something she did on a regular basis. Now, David would also later tell police that Donna's home smelled bad. It was dirty and covered in feces from several dogs who roamed freely in and out of the house. So going back to what we talked about earlier, that after his mother died, he associated with any kind of a bad smell with death. I can only speculate. I mean, obviously, I'm not a psychiatrist and have no specialization in any of this. But I can only speculate that after he moved into the house, these animal smells that he was smelling 
then triggered that response in him that he um, thought that these animal smells were smells of bodies. And of course, he associated bad smells with death after his mother died. And I'm guessing this triggered everything. Now, he was only there for one week when he said he was experiencing these fears and many other unexplained emotions. But at this point, he was not drinking or using drugs. He was sober. He said the filth and the smell was starting to affect him. Now, he had done several repairs around the house that day when Donna and Laura arrived home from their jobs. Both ladies went inside and they went into Dalpha's bedroom to see her. David then became paranoid at this point and thought Donna and Dalpha were plotting against his relationship with Laura and that they were conspiring to break them up. This enraged him. And so he got a hatchet and a steak knife and hid them nearby, close at hand. Laura came out to the living room and sat down on the couch to watch TV. But David told her that he wanted her to go outside because he needed to talk to her. So Laura got up from the couch and started to walk outside like David asked her. He then grabbed the hatchet, and as she stepped out into the yard, he attacked her and first started hitting her with the hatchet from behind. So she didn't first didn't even have a chance to defend herself. He came up behind her, started hitting her in the head and the neck with this hatchet. And she fell down in the yard, and he left her lying there in the front yard, and then he went back inside the house. He then walked to the back of the house where Dalpha, where Dalpha's bedroom was. And at this point, Donna and Dalpha were in there still visiting. They had no idea what was going on. And he then started to attack Donna first. He hit her in the face and in the head and around the neck, also with the hatchet. And she fought him. She had defensive wounds all on her hands and arms. But as he was attacking Donna, Dalpha pled for her life. But David turned around and he had no remorse. He turned around and attacked her as well, killing both of the women. David then went back outside and repeated, found Laura lying in the grass and repeatedly struck, struck Laura with the hatchet and stabbed her with the knife some more just to make sure that she was dead. I mean, this is a great guy. But, you know, being the thoughtful guy he was, he went back inside the house, cleaned the axe, wrapped it in a towel, and put it in the bathroom sink for safekeeping, I guess. I don't know. David then packed a bag, stole Donna's car, and took off. He also made sure to take his Mad Dog 2020 that Donna had provided for him and began drinking on his drive. He was later arrested that night in Buffalo, Texas for driving while intoxicated. Now, officers would report that he was driving the wrong way on the highway and sticking his head out of the driver's side window, yelling at other drivers and cursing at them and telling them to get out of his way. Now, that night while he was in jail, he was rambling, he was obnoxious, and was yelling at anyone that would listen to him that he had killed three women in Lancaster, Texas, but no one believed him. They just thought he was a drunk who was yelling and making noise. They had no idea 
what he had actually done. Because at this point, no one knew that Donna and Laura and Dalpha were dead. No one had found them yet. So the next morning, they released him from the drunk tank and he was off on his way. Now, two days later, on September 27th, after the murder of Donna and Laura and Dalpha, Donna's boss came looking for her when she failed to show up at work because this was very unlike her. So when Donna's boss got there, she found Laura lying face down in the front yard and then entered the house, which the door was not locked. So she went in and found Donna and Dalpha in the back bedroom. It was a grisly scene. There was blood all over the back bedroom. All three women were covered in defensive wounds all over their hands and arms, and they had suffered from numerous chopping wounds to their heads and faces and necks that were, of course, later determined to be the cause of their deaths. And he had also stabbed them with a steak knife. They found, when police arrived, they found Donna's diary that she kept, and she had written about picking David up and bringing him home to stay with her. So, of course, he then became their prime suspect, and they started looking for him. On October 24th, 1986, David was arrested for a felony warrant in Austin, Texas. He had this time made it to Austin. And um, they had arrested him originally for public intoxication. But when they took his his fingerprints and ran them, they found out who he was. And arrested him, like I said, on a felony warrant. Now, police from Dallas County came and picked him up and transported him back to Dallas County. Now, on the ride back, uh, Lieutenant Turner rode in the back of the police car with him for the three and a half hour drive. He said that they talked about cars and other random things, not about the murder. But he said he was eerie and that when you looked at it, looked him in the eyes, there was nothing there. No feeling. He said he would never forget it. When they arrived at the Lancaster City Jail, David asked to speak with the prosecutor. He said that he would give the facts of the case to the prosecutor if he was allowed to speak to him first. So they called Norman Kinney, who was the chief felony prosecutor for Dallas County at that time. He arrived at the jail a little after 8 p.m. and was briefed by police about who he was, what they think he had done, and what he had already said. They uh, told him that David wanted to speak with him and give a full statement, but wanted to talk about the death penalty first. So Kenny went in and took David to an interview room where they spoke for about five minutes. David asked Kenny how he felt about the death penalty. Kenny asked him, what do you mean? And he said, do you think that my case would be a good death penalty case? And Kenny said, yes, that David's case looked like a good death penalty case. And David said, good, that's what I want. He said, I don't think I can live in society. So Kenny told him that if that's what you want, then we'll do our best to get it for you. And David followed it up with saying that he didn't think he deserved to live because of his behavior. He told him that he didn't think he could stop killing. Now, during further questioning, David fully admitted admitted to killing the three women. He said that they didn't like his drinking, 
and that they were always bickering and that the constant fighting drove him crazy and that he just couldn't take it anymore. So that on that day, between the bad smells, his suspicions that Donna was hiding dead bodies and that he thought they were trying to break him and Laura up, he snapped. And he never did express any remorse for what he did. He was just completely factual. Now, also, he confessed to beating a gas station attendant, James Carnell, to death with a tire iron in 1978 in San Bernardino, California. It was like once they caught him and he confessed, anything he had done, he just let out. He started talking. He gave him everything. He didn't hold anything back. He told them that in 1978, while he was in San Bernardino, California, he had been at a wedding where, of course, he was drinking and he got drunk and was misbehaving and they threw him out of the wedding. So he went to a bar and continued to drink. And then when he left the bar, he was, of course, drunk as a skunk and ran into a median in the highway where he blew two of his tires. So he went to the gas station where James Carnell was working. James Carnell changed his two tires for him, but like David said, he was already in a bad mood. Uh, he thought that the gas station attendant overcharged him. So this made him even more mad. And so he went to his trunk, got out a tire iron and beat the man to death there in the floor of the, um, of the, oh my goodness, y'all. I'm sorry. I just lost my train of thought. He beat the man to death right there in the filling station. And then just for good measure to make sure he was dead, he decided to shove a broom handle down his throat. I mean, I can't even imagine what goes through your mind that that's what you think you need to do. Then he also confessed to killing his boss, Bob Rogers, in 1983 in Bay City, Texas. Now, same thing. He was this time high on heroin and mad at Bob because Bob had fired him because David had been using the company truck to drive his girlfriend around. And David thought this was no big deal. But Bob told him, no, you can't drive the company truck to do personal matters. So he fired him. So David was pissed about this. And he went to his trailer house that night. And when he looked in the window, he saw him sleeping in his chair. Now, he fully admitted that he held a grudge against the man for being fired. So he tried to light the underside of the trailer house on fire. But that didn't work out. So he opened the door and went into the trailer and poured whiskey all over the drapes, all around the chair, and on Bob, and then used a Bic lighter and set him on fire. He then stole $200 out of his wallet, but left a 20 in there so that it wouldn't look like a robbery. And then he left. And he told cops, I hated that son of a bitch. Now, um, all of these, these other two crimes were corroborated because... The statements he gave matched. And when they found Bob Rogers' charred body, they found his wallet, which had not burned in the fire. And all that was left was a $20 bill. So it was confirmed. He was never convicted for these two crimes, but it was confirmed that they were pretty sure that he did kill these two men. 
During the trial, the hit David's defense claimed insanity, and David tried to say that he was possessed by demons or maybe even possessed by Satan himself. And he told his psychiatrist that during when he was killing, a, sata- a satanic spiritual feeling overcame him. Now, psychiatrists all said that David fully understood right from wrong and that he knew exactly what he was doing and that he was not insane. And and one of the psychiatrists even claimed that he was malingering, which means that the person who is on trial and his who is being um, evaluated is not insane, is fully competent, but is trying to fool authorities into believing that they're insane or incompetent to, to stand trial. So they even believe that he was really kind of trying to fake all is crazy. When he was asked what his plea was, he yelled out in court, guilty as hell. So he was, I mean, I think he kind of enjoyed all the attention he got. It sounds like it. He had outbursts throughout court saying he was guilty or that he was possessed, different things. So I think he, it sounds kind of like he enjoyed the attention, which is really sick and twisted. Now he was convicted and sentenced to death by lethal injection, just like he asked for. And when the jury went to deliberate, it took them less than an hour to make this decision. Now, over the next few years, even though David asked for the death penalty and said he didn't think he deserved to live and said he didn't think he was fit for society, he appealed multiple times. In fact, it was like four or five times over the next 10 years. But each time it was overturned. No one thought that he was fit to be out in society. And, you know, one time he claimed that they didn't pick the jury correctly. And one time he claimed that they showed too many graphic photos that swayed the jury otherwise. You know, he tried to, every time he tried to claim that his trials weren't fair and tried to move for a mistrial, tried to have things overturned. But of course, every time he was left in jail. Now, in December of 1999, he was scheduled to be executed, but they found David Long in his jail cell and he had overdosed on prescription medication that he was supposed to be taking. But what he did was instead of taking it when the prison nurse gave it to him, he was hiding it and he stored it up to try to commit suicide. Well, they rushed him to an intensive care unit in Galveston, Texas where he stayed for several days. Now they moved him up to critical care and authorities said, you know, he's scheduled for lethal injection. And the doctor said, you know, he's not fit to be moved yet. But they said, sorry, we need you to sign that he's fine and that he can go back to, to be executed in Huntsville. And the doctor really didn't want to do it, but, they said no. Now, David's attorneys, they pled for clemency and asked for a stay of it, of execution. And at that point, uh, George Bush was actually not, he was the governor of Texas, but he was gone because he was campaigning for his presidential run. And um, Lieutenant Governor Rick Perry was there and he said no. He said he's appealed many, many times and he's out of chances He is going to be executed. So they loaded him up on a medical transport and flew him to Huntsville. 
Now, this, of course, caused a big stink in the media. People thought it was inhumane that this guy had tried to commit suicide and he'd suffered a drug overdose and that authorities weren't even helping letting him heal. But no, but they were not swayed. So on December 9th, 1999, he was transported back to Huntsville and he was executed by lethal injection. His last statement said, uh, just, and I'm reading it just as it's written, y'all. So I am, I'm not, I don't want it to sound like I'm making fun or being insensitive, but I'm reading it just as it was written. Uh, just, uh, sorry, y'all. I think I've tried everything I could to get in touch with y'all to express how sorry I am. I, I never was right after the incident that happened. I sent a letter to somebody, you know, a letter outlining what I feel about everything. But anyway, I just wanted right after to apologize to you. I'm real sorry for it. I was raised by the California Youth Authority. I can't really pinpoint where it started, what happened, but really believe that's just the bottom line. What happened to me was in California. I was in the reformatory schools and penitentiary, but uh, they create monsters in there. That's it. I have nothing else to say. Thanks for coming, Jack. Now, Lieutenant Turner attended the execution. And he said, after riding in the back of that car with him, he just had to be sure that David Long was executed and was no was not going to be able to get out of prison at any time so that he could hurt anyone else. Now, Donna's half-sister, Janice, had not expected to, was not planning to attend the execution. But just weeks before his execution and his overdose, he wrote Janice this long letter telling her how sorry he was and um, apologizing and trying to explain kind of like his last statement about how he was not right and that he had mental problems and all of his troubles as a child and saying that it didn't make it right, but he needed to apologize. And Janice said, you know, this opened up every old wound I'd had. I thought I had started to heal from this, but it started everything all over again. So she said, I had to be there. I had to make sure that he was gone. Now, other people who dealt with Long also said the same things about him. They said he was one of the most vicious killers that they had ever come across and that they had ever seen. He threatened to kill his defense attorney. And they said, and everyone said that, you know, he was smart and he was attractive and he was charming, but that was part of what was so scary about him was that you didn't realize what a vicious, evil killer he was. In fact, the prosecutor said that he thought he was right up there with Bundy on being able to manipulate people into thinking that he was a good person. And I'll post some pictures on the Instagram account that I found of David. And I think you can definitely see what people were talking about. In his arrest picture, he does, he looks crazed. He has all this wild, crazy hair. It's obvious that he's under the influence of drugs or alcohol or both. But then 
in his picture once he was in prison and it shows him leading him out to trial he has they've cleaned him up he's clean cut he has had a haircut he's sober and you can you can tell that he was he was a nice looking guy and probably when he wanted to he probably um could look like a nice charming person and not the scary crazed individual that he was now unfortunately I could not find any pictures of Donna or Laura or Dalpha because I wanted to include some or even of the house, but there were none. So I don't know if their families requested not to have pictures or if they just weren't taken of them at the time. But I will post those two pictures of David to show the difference between when he was sober and when he was not. It It's pretty telling, I think. So remember, friends don't pick up a hitchhiker. It's never a good idea. And remember from elementary school, stranger danger and all those things. And I really don't mean to make light of what happened to Donna and her family because it's horrible and it's brutal. But seriously, don't, even if it looks like someone that needs help, be safe out there. Enjoy your Super Bowl Sunday and thank you for listening with me today. I'm happy you were here. And please remember to rate, subscribe, and to tell a friend to listen because that's what makes the biggest difference is spreading the word. And please leave a review. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Texas True Crime Pod, or you can email me at Texas True Crime Podcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you, and I will see you next time. Thanks a lot. Bye.